Hello, I'm Pauline Jennings. Welcome to Musician Talk. Today, my guest is multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, and Carlton guitar and music educator, Mark Kreitzer. He feels at home in many genres, but is currently mostly involved in the bluegrass scene, so much so that he is a favored bluegrass workshop and camp facilitator. Mark has played in many bands throughout the years and still has his hand in quite a few, but his main gig is as the leader of the Mark Kreitzer Band. He's a prolific and thoughtful songwriter, and we get a chance to discuss and play a couple of his original songs today. Let's get the details. It's time to talk with Mark Kreitzer. Welcome, Mark, to Musician Talk. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, nice to have you on. And we were just talking about how we've never crossed paths, even though we both, well, you've been in Northfield for 15 years, but as musicians, we always think we're going to see each other somewhere, somehow, and yeah. we haven't. So this is a really a joy for me to to be introduced uh, to you today. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Mark, um, you've had a full career so far, and you've played a ton of different kinds of music. Where the two songs we have today are in the kind of bluegrass or maybe even newgrass variety. I'm not sure. Would you call it that? Yeah, I think the one called Duluth is more of a straight bluegrass feel. Got it. Um, the second one, actually, I don't know. I, I don't know what to call it. It's what? got bluegrass instrumentation, but it's it's an unusual chord progression and it's also an unusual time signature so it goes every other measure is three beats or four beats oh my so yeah it makes some people crazy but (laughs) (laughs) well i really look forward to talking more about that before we play those songs but right now what i would like you to do is think back to when you were a child if it was when you were a child when you first picked up an instrument when you first got interested when you first started playing or singing yeah, well, my parents were both music teachers, okay. so um, I'm one of six, and we all started with piano, and my daughter and granddaughter actually were looking through my baby book and found out that I started piano lessons in kindergarten, wow. so like 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so I played piano for a little while, and I, I was never crazy about it you know i'm not a huge classical music fan and i never had a teacher that said well let's play blues or jazz or so i kind of quit thinking that i'd be a like a professional baseball player or something of course uh, and then the beatles came and changed my life i had i still have two older brothers and uh they were both kind of part of the folk revival boom in the 60s. So my oldest brother was part of a group called Folk Singers 3 back in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And he had a couple of guitars and a banjo. And, um, you know, it was like I saw him play and I thought, well, that's fun and cool. But I didn't really start playing on my own until like junior high you know, some of my classmates were picking up guitars and piano and drums. And so, you know, it was like the typical garage band kind of thing. As far as I can tell, I started performing with bands like in about 1968. And how old were you then? I was uh, like 
14. Oh, wow. So you're pretty young when you started playing out. Yeah. Wow. And we just didn't think about it. You know, it was just everybody was doing it. So sure. we bought matching polka dot shirts. And <laughs> so were you, were you playing the Beatles stuff or were you more in the realm of what your, what your brothers were playing? No, it was more rock and roll. It was kind of Beatles and Rolling Stones and uh, Young Rascals kind of stuff. And then I kind of hooked up with people that were playing more uh, straight rock and roll and blues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played that for a few years during high school. There was something in the water in Sioux Falls. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> people that I played music with ended up performing with people like Jethro Tull and Jean-Luc Ponty and who else? You cut out there. It was Jean-Luc Ponty, you said, right? Jean-Luc Ponty. Wow, wow. Midler. They were really pushing all of us. Eventually, they got way too good for me. <laughs> and um, I was going to school with some guys who just listened to everything. They had, as we say in the music biz, they had big ears. Yep. And um, they were listening to Appalachian fiddle tunes and Bill Monroe and Crosby, Stills and Nash and James Taylor. And mm-hmm. I really moved completely into the acoustic world then for three decades. Wow. And interestingly, when I first heard Bill Monroe, I thought it was the worst stuff I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> what? Do you remember why? What? You know, it was just his voice was odd and it was all fast and I just didn't get the instrumentation. And, wow. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, I was listening to all the stoner hippie bands. and Right, right. Bill Monroe just was a completely like out of left field sound. Eventually a a friend moved to town. He was working with Associated Press and he was all bluegrass all the time. At the time anyway, playing it was a lot more fun than listening to it. Isn't that interesting? And actually I have to say the same thing for, uh, for unfortunate name Gypsy Jazz or Jazz Manouche, uh, Hot Club Jazz. I rarely listen to it, but I love to play it. Why? Why do you think that is? That's a, just an inter- interesting dichotomy, I, I think. The vibe of gypsy jazz guitarists is play super fast and super aggressively. It feels too aggressive sometimes. Uh, it's so easier it's- if I'm watching. Sure. You know, if I can watch them play, uh, it, it adds another dimension that helps me. Um, that is really interesting. And yeah, I suppose it's like it gets to be too much for your ears if you're just listening. But if you're watching and or playing, then how what fun to play that fast stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So did you take lessons on guitar at all? Um, no. I, wow. I mean, I've had I had one lesson a number of years ago when I was still trying to trying to get more serious about jazz. Okay. And there was a real great guy in town, uh, Arkady Yushin, I think is his name. Arkady's for sure. Uh, he was playing with um, Peter Ostrushko at the time. Wow. And I had a, a wonderful lesson um, that just kind of, you know, opened up lots of ideas for me. I have to say, I give lessons all the time. I mean, that's what I do at Carleton. Right. I love giving lessons. I hate taking lessons. I find them extremely intimidating and embarrassing and 
Oh, wow. So I don't really seek out lessons unless I have to. Mark, you are full of dichotomies. I love it. <laughs> I mean, if we could, if this was a psychology show, we could really dig into some of this stuff. Have at it. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay, so so you love teaching lessons. What what about t- teaching? Do you love so much? I feel like my uh, my role is to um, help people figure out what they want to play and how. to to help them get to that point. I especially like working with complete beginners because, you know, it's going from zero to, to 10 is like a blink of the eye. Cause they, you know, you absorb so much right away right. and watching people go through that process and how they react to it and get so excited and yeah. uh, fulfilled. And I think that's, that's also great. Makes it happy for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you start teaching a beginner, what do you start with? I start real basic. I want them to know the names of the in parts of the instrument. Um, they need to know what the names of the strings are. They need to know about scales because everything comes from scales. Basically, you're learning the alphabet, and then you learn how to spell words, and then you learn how to put thoughts together and then you can write a book. And- wow. I love that. I love that metaphor. And it's so true. I mean, you can, and you can compare it to what you just did, literature or writing, but you can, and you can also use math meta- metaphors or maybe when you use math, it's not a metaphor. It's just, it's just direct because basically all, all of it is math. Well, I tell people all the time that music is math is language. Ah. Uh. They're all processed in the same part of the brain. They all. So for me, because I understand a lot of music theory, um, some of my colleagues upstairs would argue that I don't know enough, but um, (laughs) because I understand so much, I can pick up an instrument and that I don't know. And the challenge then is just how do I get what's in my head out through this new system? So how does this instrument work? Mm. where are the notes how do i make chords if i can that kind of a thing and that's exactly the same thing i used to teach german and it's the same thing for me with language i know what objects are and i know what humans are and i know what colors are so i just need to learn the new sounds yeah and what order to put them in so people understand me in the new language. Wow, that's really cool. So you teach lessons at Carleton. Um, what what did you go to college for? Uh, German and French. Okay. I've got yeah. a master's in each of those, and I, I was uh, ABD in German, and just decided I that was not it wasn't fulfilling for me. I so you know you have to learn how to write in a certain way, and mm-hmm. I just never could do it. You know why do I want to write about 1968 protest music from Germany. Who's going to read that? You know. Right. <laughs> and what did you do instead? Well, that's when I started music full time. I started. Okay. Uh, I taught German for a number of years, and I taught a lot. My first profession was a piano tuner way, way back. Wow. And people would say, you know, what do you do? I said, well, I tune pianos and I teach and I play music. But someday, what I'd really like to do is play music full time. Yeah. So, you know, it took me till I was 50, but I finally did it. Congratulations. 
Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so what do you teach exactly at Carleton now? We have a great teacher, Zach Harris, who teaches jazz and blues guitar. I teach all the rest of the guitar. Okay. And we also have a course, which is not really a course, called American Folk Instruments. But it's a way, having it listed as a course is a way for people to find me to teach them banjo and ukulele and mandolin and accordion. Um, so, yeah, I, I teach, a, the majority of what I teach is guitar. Lots of kind of folk pop stuff. I have a lot of students who want to learn how to play, like they'll say, uh, how do you play this Taylor Swift song? Well, we'll let's learn it. My process of um, learning by ear. So what am I listening for? Um, can you hear that bass note? That's going to help you figure out what chord is being played. Right. Um, if you understand what chords come from scales or what you could expect to hear from a certain scale, that will help you anticipate chords. So we do a lot of that. And I have a lot of students who just want to learn how to strum and sing along. Yeah. So that's what we do. Well, and that's, and that's, that's the thing. It's, it's like you had that experience when you were very, very young um, being taught classical piano and it just it was not a fit for you and it didn't make you passionate for the instrument and having a teacher that understands that each student's different and their passions are different and what's going to keep them playing guitar. It doesn't matter how you get there, right? right. What, what is just going to keep them playing? Music yeah. is so important. And if, if you can continue it and keep it in a kid's life, boy, I just yeah. think that they could, they always have that to turn to. And it, and it has saved a lot of people. That's for sure. Actually, I have a great story about that. I, um, this family found me to teach their kid. I think he was like seven or eight at the time. And uh, I said, yeah, okay, bring any books that you've been looking at and so we started uh, working through this book and uh, he started looking out the window and like, you know, anything, but l let's look at the, gu the guitar book and play the book. Right. So uh, after the second lesson, I said, you know, you don't really seem to be into this. Mm -hmm. What, what do you want to do with your guitar? What do you listen to? He said, Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel. And I said, <laughs> All right. Well, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> pick this, pick a song that you want to work on, bring that next week, and that's what we'll do. So he came back the next week. Remember, he's seven or eight. Wow. I want to learn The Boxer, The Summer and Garth. No, that's not easy. Let's go. No. <laughs> and now he has his own bluegrass band. He went to uh, East Tennessee and, and got a degree in bluegrass music. And Yeah. So, yeah. Gosh. Yep. What's your what's your passion? Let's do it. That is just such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I love those kind of stories. I love it. That's great. He found his life. He found his life in that moment. I swear. He did. Wow. That's incredible. Okay, we have to move on. We'll talk some more okay. about your songwriting <laughs> and the projects you have uh, currently going. But let's turn to the first song called Duluth. Yeah. And um, tell me a little bit about the inception of the song about the Mark Kreitzer band um, yeah. and when you recorded this and well, just anything else you want to tell me about this song. Sure. I, I was playing a lot in Duluth with a band called the Clearwater Hot Club. I've got a friend up there who's a great songwriter named Kim Munson. 
one trip I was driving back thinking about writing songs and why we do it. And, you know, the world certainly doesn't need more songs and mm. uh, you can't write anything new. And, um, and I thought about Kim. She's got a band called the Fish Heads, which you should look them up. They're fun. Awesome. Great um, name. Yeah. And so it's sort of evolved from why are we writing it to my being impressed with Kim's writing. People wrongly think of, that it, it's like a crush song on Kim. It's more a crush song <laughs> on, man, she writes great songs. And so that's basically the song is, a, is my homage to her writing. When I listened to this song, I thought, I want to meet this woman. <laughs> was the first thing I thought. I want to hear her sing. Yeah, so, well, I hope you get to. I hope so I do, too. The recording, I think, I, I don't remember exactly what year. It's, it's an older recording now. But the band at that time uh, was me playing primarily guitar. Uh, my brother Chuck uh, on bass and vocals. There were not too many extra vocals on that album, but Tom Schaefer on fiddle and Tom, uh, I've known him since 1972 or three and uh, Jed Germond played mandolin and pedal steel. And then uh, Tony Eric, who now is with a great band called the high 48s. And he played um, banjo and uh, dobro and a little bit of guitar and a snare drum on the recordings. So, yeah, that's the band, and uh, we should hear it. <laughs> we will hear it. Let's hear it, in fact. So uh, let's take a listen to Duluth, written by my guest today, Mark Kreitzer. I know this woman up in Duluth. When she sings, she makes the angels sigh She's been known to make a grown man cry Boys, I've got the proof She'll take you higher than the Eiffel Tower And show you things you've only heard about She can turn your whole world inside out Before she gets you in her power and all the women seem to know it Though they'll never really show it And all the boys think they can win her heart Just as sure as there's a moon and stars Song she sings, so everybody feels her pain. 
the sun Any more than the sun that rides And everybody saw it in her eyes And everybody knew it from the start So if you go to hear that woman play Don't be quick to give your heart away But you know every word she has to say You can take the gospel truth From that woman in Duluth This is Pauline Jennings and you're listening to Musician Talk. You just heard Duluth, an original written by my guest today, Mark Kreitzer. It was also performed by him and sung by him. Uh, it's a just a joy to have you on the show today, Mark. And I love this song. The, the blend... I mean, this has to do with the engineer too, but but of course the musicians. The blend is so good; it just can't. Sometimes you can't tell who's playing what. They, yeah. It's just kind of the interplay of the instruments is is really really beautiful, and all the choices that everybody makes is so is so tasty. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I wanted to play with them. I knew that they would. I do very little arranging with the band. This one has as much arranging as anything ever, and the arrangement is: we're going to start with just banjo and guitar, and then you guys will come in here, just hit chords, and then we're going to play. Got and it. I don't like to direct bands very much. So When you have the kind of musicians that you have, you don't have to. I mean, they, right. they're going to, you can trust them to find the part that is going to work for the song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By the way, the, the engineering, I have to mention, um, Matthew Zimmerman did the engineering for us, and he also is at uh, Carlton now. He does all yes. the sound. Amazing. So, okay, you are a songwriter. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, there's the collaboration aspect of it in that you, you don't have all the parts written out and you bring it to your band and you trust them, like we just talked about, to, to create the right part for the song. Do you have a process that you, that you would, to come up with the lyrics and the melody line and the, and the chords? Uh, is there a process you go, that you go through each time or is it different every time? The basic setup is the same i generally will pick up an instrument and just start playing chords okay um, occasionally give myself an assignment like i, I need to have i haven't written a bluegrass song in forever and so i'm going to write something that definitely feels bluegrass so that influences um what what rhythms i use and how many chords I'm going to throw into a song. Although even when I write straight bluegrass, I use more than a lot of people do. <laughs> uh, and generally speaking, once I get some chords that I like, I'll just start humming mel melodic ideas. Hmm. And or I'll, I'll get some kind of an emotional response. You know, th this feels like this kind of a song. Occasionally I'll start with lyrics, but that's that's near not nearly as common for me okay Duluth is one exception I was driving back and forth and it was like I know this woman in Duluth and okay well that's a great line right but generally it's like I get a melodic idea and well what kind of words would go with that and I kind of got that actually the idea came from the Beatles McCartney talks about waking up and pl playing the song on the piano. And it's like, what is this song? I don't know. So he had played for all his friends and nobody knew what it was. And, well, it must be mine. So he went home oh. and he started working on it and he, he played. So just seeing nonsense, scrambled eggs, 
All my life I've eaten scrambled eggs. Oh my goodness. Yep. Oh. And there's, there's oh, another oh. example um, in the, wow. the new Peter Jackson documentary where um, George says, Paul, you got to help me with a song. And they're all in the studio. He says, Paul, what, what do I need here for this lyric? And John goes, just start singing about cauliflower. It doesn't matter. Something <laughs> will come. And so I often will do that too. Got um, it. Tim O'Brien is a great singer songwriter. And he said, when you get that far, that's like having the border of a jigsaw puzzle. Ah. Then the hard part starts. Right. Then it's all the nuances and you're throwing out the stupid lyrics and. Wow. Well, you know, um, on the boxer, the Lila lies that yeah. those were, those were placeholders. And they, really? they got all the way in the studio and recording. He had all the verses written and he still had Lila Lie and hadn't figured that out. And everybody's like, you know what? We really like the Lila Lie. And he <laughs> and Paul Simon still um, to this day, I don't know if he's still performing, but what he did up to when he was performing, he would always feel a little embarrassed when he would play that song because <laughs> he never really finished it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Great. So um, when did you start writing songs how old were you when you when you actually decided to be, become a songwriter uh junior high wow oh so that came early oh yeah we you know we would just sit around and write about what teenage boys think about so um they're thankfully long long forgotten and what a great outlet for a teenage boy to get those feelings oh, out right yeah and you know There'd be four or five of us, and we'd all just start throwing out lines to each other, which is interesting because I, I have not been able to collaborate songwriting since then. Wow. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It was very uh, therapeutic, and you know, it was a great way to bond with another guy. Because yeah, I don't know if you know this, but guys have a hard time bonding there's an issue about talking about your feelings, but writing a song, you get to, you get to talk about those feelings without really, really talking about those feelings, right? You're not, you're not making yourself so vulnerable because it's just a lyric. Although everybody in the room knows it came from somewhere. Right. So yeah. you learn a deeper, you learn about each other in a much deeper way because, yeah. because of that experience, I think. Yeah. It's also easy to, it's easier because you get to take your feelings and put them in somebody else. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not me who feels this way. It's this character Luther who, right? You know. Uh, again, we have to move on, on, but and we have this quote to get to. I just want to ask you one question about bluegrass. I don't know much about bluegrass. It's not. I've never sung it. I've never. I've never been in a band that plays it. And um, when I think of bluegrass, I think of all the harmonies. And yeah. and at least the, these two songs that we're playing today don't have that. And so how, what makes a song bluegrass? Is it the instrumentation more than the voices? Is it, is it, is, are there just these different buckets of bluegrass like there is in any music? And so we just walk us through that. Give us a little primer on bluegrass. Um, well, it's been under discussion since it started. Ah, um, let's see. The, the, the first written description of bluegrass uh, said bluegrass is folk music in overdrive. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, so Bill, Bill Monroe was experimenting, right? He he grew up kind of playing brother duet songs with his brother Charlie, and um, 
he had other so sounds in his head. So he says that uh, the influences were his uncle Penn, Penn Vanamere. He actually wrote a song called Uncle Penn, who was a fiddler, played like Scottish style fiddle tunes. And church, uh, where he learned to sing harmony, kind of shape note stuff. And there was a, a black blues guitar player in Rosine. So he lived on a farm just outside of Rosine, Kentucky. And he would sneak in and listen to this guy play music. He would kind of hide around the corner. So bluegrass was his mixing of blues, fiddle music, and harmonies. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. The original instrumentation was guitar, mandolin, bass, and a fiddle. And for a while, he had accordion. Uh, my, my understanding is that, that it was his mistress. And uh, they, there were a couple of albums that she was on, and then she wasn't on albums anymore. <laughs> the only woman that ever was play, played with Mel Monroe's band. Um, and then he... He added banjo after that. The, um, but he was always innovating and um, growing. But there's a, there's a school of bluegrass that if you don't play it the way Bill Monroe played it in 1945 to 50, it's not bluegrass. Oh, interesting. Purists. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But then there are people like Bela Fleck who just, we just saw him at the Dakota, blew my mind. He did an album a couple of years ago called My, uh, My Bluegrass Heart. And it's all the bluegrass instrumentation, but it's like playing Martian music. It's unbelievable. Wow. And to him, that's still bluegrass. So yeah. There you have it. There you have it. I love that. Yeah. It's like It goes back to that student, right? That it's what's your passion? And you just put this stuff right. together and you can put it in a box or not put it in, in a certain box. It doesn't matter. It's all, it's just music. It's all music. Sure. Um, and you were talking about Bill Monroe and we're going to, we're going to touch on this quote very, very quickly and then get to your next song. Um, <clears throat> and it's a Bill Monroe quote. And he said, bluegrass has brought more people together and made more friends than any music in the world. You meet people at festivals and renew acquaintances year after year. And I've heard this said, I think I've interviewed a couple of people that have talked about bluegrass and these, these meet meetups that you go to, that's kind of different than just going to gigs and meeting, you know, meeting the same musicians over and over. It's more of a communal kind of, kind of gathering. Um, but why don't you speak to that and, and why, why this is so, why this is more so um, for the genre of bluegrass than maybe any other genre in music. That's a great question and great quote. Uh, so bluegrass almost died out when there's this young punk from down Memphis way, um, Elvis something. <laughs> I knew you. Once you said <laughs> Memphis, I picked it up. Yeah, that hack. <laughs> <laughs> and when he's when he once he got popular, bluegrass almost. I mean, bluegrass musicians who'd been making really good living traveling all over the country, couldn't get a gig. Wow. It was basically when the, the college-age students started discovering bluegrass again, you know, this, the folk boom revival. Got it. 
they started looking these people up, finding Bill Monroe and finding Flatten Scruggs and finding Elizabeth Cotton and Pete Seegers, and they would bring them to, to college campuses. And they were so popular that somebody, I don't remember who first put the first uh, festival on, but they said, well, let's get seven or eight of these bands together and we'll have them play all day. And uh, the idea just took off. There were soon festivals all up and down the East Coast and then all across the country and then all across the world. Wow. Um, and uh, that's kind of what helped these bands revive the bluegrass and actually that quote about bluegrass folk music and overdrive was written about the first festival it's like describing what happened and it's even true in minnesota we've got uh, an association the uh, minnesota bluegrass and old-time music association and uh, at one point we had over a thousand members and like 70 or 80 member bands uh, played old-time Appalachian music and bluegrass and what we call related music. And and we put on three festivals. You see the same people and you play music with them all night long and, you know, all these bands kind of commingle. And I mean, we have all sorts of festivals. You have your jazz festivals, you have your rock festivals, but those, they play their gig and leave. And it sounds like with the folk or with the bluegrass uh, festivals, everybody stays and you, and, and you go into the night playing with each other as opposed yeah, yeah. to just having your 45 minutes <clears throat> on stage. Yeah. In fact, I know people who will go to festivals in Minnesota and never see a stage show. Wow. They just go to jam with their friends. Wow. Let's move on to this next song, which this won't be your lucky day, which, um, uh, the, some of these lyrics in this song are pretty, pretty powerful. Um, <laughs> and I would love to know where this started. If, if, if this is a personal story for you or where, where it came from. Yeah. Well, this actually uh, is kind of an interesting one from our discussion about songwriting, because I, I heard somebody say something like, I want you to hurt like you hurt me. And so that idea was in my head, just kind of, fomenting for a long time and i also about the same time i thought you know um i've written waltzes and i've written most of the stuff is just kind of straight to feel um i did have one song that i recorded with the middle spunk creek boys and i wrote a bridge that went to five four just for the bridge and then it went back and i thought you know it'd be fun to have a song that um, the changes meter. So um, I came up with this chord progression where it's a measure of three and a measure of four. And the whole song just keeps going back between three and four. <laughs> How fun. And, but, yeah, but And it just turned out once I got the chord progression and this melodic idea, it was like the lyrics started coming and uh, it was like, oh, this is going to be that uh, the idea. Well, the very first line is, uh, times have changed just like my heart. And it's like, bam, there's the you're going to hurt like you hurt me. Yes. You can't write something that doesn't reflect something in your life. You know, you, right. you can, but it's not going to be a true song. And people will hear that it's, you know, just formulaics. So obviously there's some stuff uh, that, you know, 
working through things in my right. Yeah, right. Okay, say no more. Say no more. And that's understood. <laughs> yeah, because there's this alive, and I'll knock yeah. you down and let you be. Yeah, I want, to, I want you to hurt like me. It's like, oh boy, I think many, 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 if not most of us, have been there. Yeah, I think so too. So this is my my. I'm going to step into this other person and experience that and get it out. Nice. And is it are these the same musicians on this track as the as Duluth? Um, I believe this one is going to be uh, Chuck, me, and Tom again, but John Bodel will be playing banjo. Okay. Okay. This fabulous. Well, let's take a listen to "This Won't Be Your Lucky Day" by my guest today, Mark. Today, Mark Kreitzer. Times have changed just like my heart. Now I'm glad when we're apart. You thought I'd be always true. Baby, I've got news for you. This won't be your lucky day. I'll turn my back and walk away Knock you down and let you be I want you to hurt like me I thought I cared for you Now I see I've got my due What a fool you played me for Then just left me at the door But this won't be your lucky day I'll turn my back and walk away Knock you down and let you be I want you to hurt like me Mistakes like way back then How could I have failed to see Now your mean tricks have set me free But this won't be your lucky day I'll turn around and walk away Knock you down and let you be I want you to hurt like me I want you to hurt like me yeah, I want you to hurt like me. This is Musician Talk, and I am your host, Pauline Jennings. Today's guest is singer-songwriter, uh, instrumentalist extraordinaire, Mark Kreitzer. You just heard a song uh, he wrote called This Won't Be Your Lucky Day. Uh, and again, the words are pretty powerful, and I love your voice. I love listening to your voice. It's very, very smooth. And um, I didn't pick up on the 
and the time change. Uh, but I, I usually go to my husband, Steve, to tell me, okay, here's where it's three. Here's where it's four. Cause of course he's a drummer. So, um, it's time to turn to best gig, worst gig. Let's hear what you got. For me. Um, well, best gig, I have to say, was the best tour. I got to go with Connie Evingson, great oh, singer. Yes. Um, and she hired um, Clearwater Hot Club, who I mentioned earlier, to accompany her to Japan for uh, the uh, a jazz festival. It was, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the festival, um, the Ginza Jazz Festival. Wow. And... We were in Tokyo for about three days, oh. and we played at a Starbucks, and we played in the lobby of uh, of a Yamaha music store, oh. and a department store, and uh, one other I can't think of right now, but we were treated like rock stars. They picked us up at a hotel in a little mini bus, and w- when we got to this venue, they, they had these guys in white windbreakers that were... <laughs> a column through the people for us to walk on. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> it was amazing, yeah. And they were, they just were so appreciative. They loved every every band there. But, you know, you, you could tell that they were thrilled to have us. Aww. So that was, that was best by far. That sounds great. And worst... I was playing with the Middle Spunk Creek Boys. We got to play with them for about 12 and a half years, uh, an institution in Minnesota, Bluegrass. And um, we were playing for a corporate party. Uh, We were supposed to play out in this huge open green space. So they they had had an open bar. And Uh it gets worse. (laughs) Ten minutes before we were supposed to, supposed to start playing, it started raining. Oh, no. Really raining. <laughs> so they had to tear all of that food stuff down and bring it in and set up a whole new room while they had the open bar still going. Right. So nobody's <laughs> eating. Nobody's eating that whole time they're drinking. <laughs> so it ended. We were we – were, oh, they had um, – Disposable cameras. I don't know if you remember those. With yeah, yeah. In flash. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. so we were on stage and people would come up with those like right in our face and take snapshots of us. <laughs> we blinded for five minutes. We finally stopped when some guy at the front table picked up a dinner roll and threw it at Alan Jesperson, our guitar player, oh. who luckily caught it and threw it back at him. Nice. We're done. Yeah, we're done. So that and you know they they couldn't care less that we were there. Nobody paid attention. Yeah. Oh, ick. But you know, yep. if that's the worst, that's not that that bad. Yeah, it was okay. All right. Yay. Yeah. Well, Mark, um, l- tell us where you're playing, where your next couple shows are, and then tell us where you can where uh, we can all find your music and your schedule. I'm playing with um, Clearwater Hot Club. Uh, in Turtle River in a couple days for a party. I'm going to be at um, Larry Fest, which is uh, Lafarge, Wisconsin, um, on uh, the 18th of August with my band, um, a variation of my band. That's going to be fun. It's a wonderful festival. I'm playing at Imminent in 
Northfield on the 26th with my band. On the 26th that's, of August. Right. And that's going to awesome. be me, uh, Tom, Chuck, and a great friend, John Guerin, is going to play guitar with us. And I'm going to I'm going to switch off like mandolin, guitar, banjo. Oh, that sounds fabulous. I, my main repeating gig is a really, really fun uh, traditional jazz gig with a band called Patty and the Buttons. Patty, Patrick Harrison is one of the best accordionists in the world. Wow. And he leads the band and we, it's uh, Patrick and I play uh, guitar and tenor banjo and a uh, great uh, clarinetist named Tony Bailiff, who also has his own band called the Southside Aces. Mm. And uh, typically we have a Keith uh, Boyles on bass. No, um, he's wonderful. Yeah, he's been he's been our bass player for a long time. So if you want to catch us, that's Sundays at the Astor Cafe downtown okay. Minneapolis. Nice. Don't be afraid to drive downtown Minneapolis. It's safe. It's wonderful. Yes, and the Astor yeah. Cafe is a real fun place to see somebody. Very intimate. Yeah. yeah. So we're there every Sunday from eleven to two. Okay, great. And and so uh, if somebody didn't have a pencil to write all this down, where can they find your schedule? Well, uh, I, I have to be honest. I have a site that I don't keep up. Uh-oh. You're going to have to go and do that right now. Oh, <laughs> After <no>. you're done. <laughs> it's just markkreitzer.com. Okay. But it's still there's still stuff there so you can uh you can listen to music and watch videos of me solo and with the band and i'm also on facebook just me but i also have uh, mark kreitzer gigs that i post some stuff on and okay so yeah and and it's mark kreitzer k r e i t z e r and right. uh, the important gig for us if you're listening in this area right now is the imminent gig on August 26th you guys go down and see this i assume it starts right around 7 some sometime around 7 i have to check every time got it well if you show up at 7 you'll get there after they started or you'll hear music very soon after that and uh what a joy it was to talk to you it really was what you have great stories and you, and you have a lot of knowledge so thank you so much for being on musician talk mark well thanks for having me the joy was completely mine God, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. A big thanks to Mark for sharing his stories and music with us today. Thanks also to Matthew Zimmerman, sound engineer extraordinaire, who helped me out this week. And many, many thanks always to the ultra-smooth-speaking Wendy Nordquist. And to you, dear listener, for tuning in to Musician Talk on the One. K-Y-M-N. Have a fabulous day. Mm-hmm.